why we have the book of James today. Anyway, hey, great to have you here today for Quick to the Point. Part one, hey, best, best thing you could have ever done is got the church today because you're here for part one of a series. You always want to be in part one because they always kind of seem to go somewhere and build. And this one's a little bit different. It doesn't totally build. Let me tell you about James real quick here. Most of the time when you hear the word James, you start thinking of the disciples. You start thinking about Jesus walking around and he had his homies, he had his compadres, he had the 12 disciples. And I can't even name them all. I used to be able to, but not anymore. And so, but inside of the 12, he had an inner three and their names were Peter, James, and John. And we remember that. So most of the time we think of James, we think of one of those guys. Well, actually that James gets, I feel, I feel like he's a character in a movie. He gets killed off pretty quick in the movie. Um, if you read the book of Acts, he gets, he's martyred. He is killed for the faith and, and he dies off fairly quickly or fairly early on in the book of Acts. This is not that James. Believe it or not, this is James, the younger brother of Jesus. This is kind of what you would consider, you know, maybe his half brother, uh, Mary and Joseph, you know, didn't have kids the traditional way, if you know what I mean. But after that, they did. And they had several little kids after that. And so in the Gospels, it mentions Jesus and his family. And then it goes, oh, yeah, you're the son of Mary and your brothers and sisters are da, 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 da. And they list off all these kids. And one of them is named what? James. This is James, the younger kind of half brother of Jesus. Now, early on, he doesn't even believe in Jesus. His family kind of at times kicks back, especially the brothers and sisters. I think Mary, the Bible says, kind of always knew in her heart and she had remembered all the things that had happened. She just was kind of like waiting to see how it would unfold. But the brothers and the sisters weren't totally, you know, gelling because, you know, how many know, like, you're my big brother. You know, you're the one that picked on me. And, you you know, I, I don't think he stole things from his little because that would be a sin. I, I don't know how that worked. But it still is. And they, they didn't totally believe. So the Bible says that after the resurrection, that Jesus presented himself. And it goes on to list all the people that Jesus presented himself to. And then Paul even goes on to say, the reason why I'm telling you this is because if you don't believe what I'm saying, go ask them. They were still alive when Paul was writing what he was saying. And one of the people that Jesus Met with, talked with, and, and hung out with after his resurrection was his brother, James. And that's what convinced James, like it would probably convince you and I, if we had a talk with post-resurrection Jesus. It, we, we be, he became a full-blown, devoted follower of Jesus. And he's mentioned in the book of Acts. So in Acts 15, there's this huge council meeting and they're trying to decide and determine what they're going to do. And James is the one that kind of weighs in and gives almost the final vote the, you know, on what, where they're going to go next and what they're going to do. James was given a ton of credit. And so uh, Paul mentions him as a pillar of the church. This guy is really considered the, the bishop or the overseer of the entire church of Jerusalem. Because remember, Peter left and went this way. Thomas went that way. Paul's doing his missionary travels. Who's pastoring the church that... Where it all started, it was James. James was considered the bishop of the church of, of, of Jerusalem. And so this James later goes on. He's eventually stoned to death in 62 AD for the claims that he was making about his, his older half-brother, Jesus. But, everybody say but. All right, give me, give me a big but. Everybody say but. So, you got to talk to me a little bit here. Um, but, here's the deal. Before he dies, he writes a letter. And in this letter, it's unique than all other letters because it's really not written like the way Paul wrote a letter. Paul would write a letter and be like, to the Romans or to the, to the church of Corinth or to these people. James kind of has this broader context and he's like, hey, to all the followers of Jesus who are out there. And he just has this, and it's not written like, like a letter to a specific, because Paul would write to a specific church and address specific issues. 
James didn't do that. His, his, his letter actually reads like a sermon. It's so quick. It's so punchy. It's so direct. It's blunt at times. It's definitely in your face. Most of the time, he only spends about three verses per subject. But he just crams so much thought and insight into like three little verses. And so when we break off a sermon, we won't be doing huge amounts of text today. I think we'll only read through maybe five verses. Because he jams so much in there. It is, it's quick to the point. That's who James was. He was this blunt, in-your-face preacher. And this is, in essence, a sermon that he wrote down on paper. Are you ready to go? Here we go. James chapter 1. James, a servant of God... And of the Lord Jesus Christ. I appreciate how he opens his letter because he is a better man than I am. Because if you were Jesus' brother, you would play that card. Right? You wouldn't wait in line. You wouldn't wait to get a dinner table. You'd be playing that card off like, do you know who I am? I am James, the brother of Jesus, your Messiah. And if you want to get in, you need to get in with me too. And so you, you would play that card, wouldn't you? Come on. Some of you get angry because you can't find a parking spot close to the store. You would play that. You'd be like in the handicap, like I'm Jesus' brother. What's up? Play it. So, so he doesn't do that. He doesn't, he doesn't give himself this title of, hey, hey, brother of Jesus over here. Listen, he doesn't do that. He goes, no, no, I'm just a servant of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ to the 12 tribes scattered. Everybody say scattered. scattered. The reason why this is important is because in the beginning... Jesus said, go into all the world, go into all the nations. And you know what they did? They didn't go nowhere. Uh, They're like, we're happy here. We like it. It It's like Jesus Disneyland here. Everything was going good until the persecution came. And persecution, trials, pain is what made them get out of town and scatter. And so they left because of the persecution that we're about to talk about here. And he goes on to, it's like, hey, greetings. What's up? So. His opening message is really, really important to these people because why did they leave? Persecution. What were they facing in life? Persecution. Uh, Romans hated them. The, uh, The Jewish leadership hated them. They were hated and despised by a whole lot of people. And so out of the gate, he addresses the very most important thing that they need to hear. And guess what? Nothing's changed. You know, one of the most important things that you ever need to hear is this next set of verses here. It's something that every one of you has experienced, will experience. Maybe some of you are experiencing it right now. And this is what he says. Let's go on to verse number two. He says this, and it's audacious. Consider it pure joy. Like we're about to get into something good, like the grace of God is upon you. Or consider it joy. You're going to heaven. Consider it joy. Nope. Consider it joy whenever you face trials of many kinds. And we all said what? Yay! Yes, James, that's what we do. Trials? Praise the Lord. I'm so excited. I'm pumped up for Jesus. I'm with Jesus. You know, how about you? You know, yeah. Anyway, y'all remember when you were kids? I love Jesus. Yes, I do. I love Jesus. How about? Okay. That's not how we respond. James, James opens with this contradicting thought, doesn't he? It's not, it's not, this isn't normal. This isn't what we naturally do. Only a certain type of person would do this. And James wants us to become a certain type of person, as we'll see here in a minute. But he says this, and, and these are the facts of life. Y'all remember Tootie and Blair? These are the, these are the real facts of life. 
Some of y'all don't even know what I'm talking about, do you? Young twerp whippersnappers. Anybody who's under the age of what, 30? Y'all don't even know. Y'all know Tootie and Belair is. But James gives you the real facts of life. And the real facts of life are really found in, in this right here. The first fact of life is this. Go ahead and put it up on the screen for me. Is that problems are inevitable. Now, if you live for any length of time, you already know. So I'm already telling you. I'm just telling you stuff you already know. Problems are inevitable. Notice that when James says, you know, trials are, he says when they come. Everybody say when. When trials come. He didn't say if they come. This is, they are inevitable. You are absolutely going to face problems, to face pain, to, to face obstacles, difficulties. We call them trials. We kind of all just lump them into that thing. And James says, hey, when you experience them, and, and guess what? The rest of the Bible teaches the exact same thing. Jesus says this, this thing right here. He goes, in this world, you will have problems. But be of good cheer because I have overcome the world. Peter says something a little bit different. He goes, do not be surprised when you fall into difficult trials and situations. So like you should never be caught off guard and never be thrown off. One of the misconceptions, and sometimes preachers kind of put this out there because they paint just the pretty picture of following Jesus. That if you follow Jesus, you're going to be blessed. And if you follow Jesus, you'll be successful. And if you follow Jesus... Everything will turn up petunias and you're going to have you're going to do like a yellow brick road all the way to heaven. It's going to be fantastic. And so that's not true. That's not in the Bible. Some preacher sounds good saying that. Not true. Okay. The reason why is because the, the whole Bible is full of people who experience heartache and triumph both in the same life. And God said that's still the life of faith. So you, it, it, you are going to experience trials. The, the idea that you're going to just all of a sudden follow Jesus and Jesus is going to remove every single obstacle in your way is completely false. The promise of God is not that he'll make life easy. The promise of God is that he'll be with you. That's the promise of God. Because in this life, you're going to. Good people, bad people. Smart people, dumb people. Pretty people, ugly people. All people. We're all going to face problems in life. They are inevitable. Next, next fact of life is this. You already know this one too. Is that problems are unpredictable. He says, whenever you face trap, I say face. Whenever you face trials, it's an interesting word because it's the same word that Jesus used in the parable of the Good Samaritan when he said the guy was going down the road to Jericho and he fell among thieves. That same word fell is the same word face here. Now, how many know uh, they're unpredictable? That You never plan them, do you? Have you ever planned your own trial? Plan, and I don't mean like your court case. I mean like your painful experience, your, your heartache, your obstacle in life. How many ever are like, you know what, I really, I feel like I'm due for one. I'm going to go and just... I'm going to call some people. I'm going to really align the stars here. I'm going to set this thing up. No, no, they're completely unpredictable. Normally they catch us off guard. They come out of nowhere. Sometimes we can kind of forecast a little bit. You know, if you've got a crazy family, you know, it's, it's only you know, a matter of time. Um, so, so you know that, that not only are they inevitable, they're going to come, but they're unpredictable. Like you, you don't know exactly how they're going to come. And they're never convenient, are they? They don't check with your schedule. They just, bam, and they're all over you. That, that's a fact. He says when you face trials or fall into trials. And the last thing is this, as far as the facts of life, is that problems are varied. So when he says whenever you face trials of many kinds, everybody say many kinds. Many, actually, the, the, the little translation, it was like many, very colored. Many colored, varied, all kinds of different ones. Uh, they, 
they vary, don't they? Like style-wise, intensity, frequency. You ever look at other people's life and be like, man, their life just seems so easy. They never get hit with trials and you feel like you're one per quarter. You know what I mean? You're just... Like, why does God keep on picking on me? Why does this, why do bad things always happen to me? Do you ever feel that way? I would say most of the time it's a matter of perspective. Is that their life is really not that much easier than yours, but you have a perspective that's so myopic. I, I have a, um, I have a guy that I golf with every week and his name is Chris. And he's, he's a wonderful guy, but he's a little bit like this. So when you, when you play golf, uh, that, that little round ball just does whatever it wants to do. Um, it goes weird places, water. Uh, trees. It, it just does whatever it wants to do. And, and, and everybody that, that's a bad golfer, because we're all bad golfers, um, your ball goes somewhere, right? But if you listen to this guy, he compares himself to me all the time. He's like, man, that never happens to you. And he'll, he, he will. Sometimes his ball will go into a forest and ping pong around and then, and then fall into the water. Something like, like, and then he'll say something like, this always happens to me. That never happens to you. Well, it, it does. You just don't know because I don't cry about it quite as much as you do. But <laughs> hey, it is. We all have them and they all are unpredictable. They're all varied. They all change with style and frequency. And so, so here, cause here's what I know about you. Cause you call me or I get your prayer request or whatever. I talk to you after service. We all have them. And so they come in all kinds of styles, right? Like family trials. Anybody ever had family trials? Yeah. You're, you're like, I'm with my family. I'm not gonna raise my hand right now. Financial trials, health trials, uh, work trials. I mean, you name it. We could just go down the list. Some of y'all have legal trials, but that's because of your own doing. Um, be careful of the legal trials. But if you need a good lawyer, call me. I, I'll hook you up. Um, be, be wary of... Tri- okay, so let me make this point here, though. Trials, as I'm going to talk about them are the random occurrences that come upon your life that you can't seem to make sense of. I am not talking about a repeated foolish behavior that constantly gets you into trouble and then you're like, why is everybody always picking on me? Why do bad things happen to me? Well, you keep doing bad things. And so when you do bad things, bad things happen to you. Yeah, yeah. I'm not talking about karma here. We're not talking about sowing and reaping here. We're just talking about like you keep making unwise decisions. And, and uh, well, James says it like this. When you spend time with foolish people, your life leads to a path of destruction. So anyway, th- that's not exactly what we're talking about. We're talking about the trials of life that seem to come a little bit out of nowhere. But here's the ultimate fact that James wants you, you to focus on. You already knew these three. This is the one that is the most important that you know, and it's this, is that problems are purposeful. Not a lot of amens in here today. That fell about as flat as considered all joy. Um, Here's what James says. Now, let's, let's keep reading here. Let's go back to the text. James says, be consider it all joy whenever you face trials of many kinds because you know. Meaning like, and remember who he's talking to. He's not talking about outsiders or unbelievers. He's talking about Jesus followers. And so if you're here today, and just, just hang with me today if you're not a Jesus follower. But for those of you who are, he's saying and he's implying that you ought to know something. Right? Like you can consider it all joy because you know problems are purposeful. And when you know that, you can think about and see your problems differently. Now, if that's not something you're aware of, then we're going to take you from here in your walk with Jesus and just pull you up a notch because this is going to be powerful because many of you are experiencing a trial right now. And if not, there's one eventually coming somewhere down the road. 
And James wants you to be prepared for it. He goes, I want you to know that trials have a purpose. You may not always understand that purpose. In the middle of the purpose, you don't even want to know about it. Isn't that kind of annoying? You ever had the Christian do that to you? Like, when you're in the middle of your pain, they come up to you and be like, that's all right, brother, God's going to get the glory. You're like, I'm going to give you some glory. Get out of my face. So there is something to timing here. You know, when you're in an emotional state of, 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 of bitter, angry, mad, upset, confused, now is not the time for you as a Christian to come and quote James, right? This is something you need to be equipped with beforehand, before you get into the trial, so that you process it well. But when you're in the middle of your mess, what you really want is compassion, right? What you really want is mercy. You want hugs, you know, just somebody bring me some donuts and chocolate and hug me. You know, that's what you really want. Right. So, but this is what you ought to know, not what you ought to be feeling in the moment. But this is what you ought to know is that problems are purposeful because you know that the testing of your faith produces perseverance. Purpose number one of your trials is this is they build my patience. That's what they build in me. Depending on what translation of the Bible, it says patience, perseverance, the idea is endurance, the idea is strength, the idea is grit, the idea is toughness. They do something in you. Like you need to know that when you experience trials in life, they give you some life perspective. They give you some toughness. They give you something that you didn't have before. How many of you have ever experienced that? You're like, no, no, I've been to hell and back. I know I can make it through, right? I know what I can handle. I've been through a lot in this life and I, I, I'm, I'm like the, the little engine that could. I just keep on going and keep on going and keep, I think I can. I think you just keep on going. And so that's the idea is that to a certain degree, trials, they're going to give you strength and endurance and perseverance. And this is what you need to know. We'll write this down if you're taking notes. Patience is not a passive acceptance of circumstances. It's not you sitting back, becoming fatalistic, and saying, woe is me. I guess this is just what's supposed to be, and this is God's will, and this is what's... So I'm just going to lay here and die. That's not the idea. It is a courageous perseverance in the face of suffering. And difficulty, that inner strength is what God wants you to have in life because we already determined problems are inevitable. The question is this, is how will you handle them? Will you lay down and die or will you stand up and fight? And James is challenging you. He's, trust me, when we read these words, what you're going to find is this, is James is not your, your therapist. He's your coach and he will yell at you sometimes. Because good coaches get up in your face and they challenge you. And this is James challenging you, saying, hey, I want you to think about your problems differently. As a matter of fact, you can even consider it joy that when you go through things, you know that God is doing a work in you and you're coming through stronger than you did on the inside. Come on, buck up, little buckaroo. You can make it. You can do it. You got this. I got your back. God is with you. And we're coming through this thing. Somebody say amen. And that's James, Coach James, getting up. How many other coach like that? Just get up in your face. Uh, You needed it. So. Not only, not only do they build your patience, but let's keep reading. Can we go back to the verse? Not only do they do that, next verse is this. And let perseverance finish its work. Meaning like, 
don't abandon ship too early. Don't short circuit the process. Don't because because many of us do that. We get into the midst of our trial and our situation and we got we hang on for a week, you know, and then and then we get into disaster mode. Then we kind of quit. Then we give up eventually. And he's saying, no, 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 don't quit on the process. God's doing something in you. So let it finish its work so that you may be what? Everybody together. Everybody say mature. So that you may be mature and complete, not lacking anything. Now, now here's what you need to know. There's a misconception here. The idea that if you read this at first glance is that trials produce maturity. And that's not true. And if you looked at life, you would agree with me immediately. Have you ever met people that went through trials only to let it devastate them? To break them, they crumble to pieces, they lay down and die, they give in. So trial, do trials produce maturity? No, and that's not what James says. James says that trials, if you'll let them finish their work, if you'll let God do his process in you, if that takes place and you don't abandon ship too quick, that you're going to attain something called maturity. Now, here's what, here's what I know about me, and I think it's true of you too, is that there are certain things in life, I went to Bible college, I... There are certain things in life you can't learn in a book. You can't. If you will look at your life and you will think of the greatest lessons that you ever learned, most of them were equated with pain. Now listen, it is wisdom to learn from other people's mistakes, right? But most of us don't really do that too often. What we do is, is we're, we're sometimes a little hard-headed and we only learn uh, from our own mistakes. And it's only through pain that we decide to change. And it's only through heartache that we decide to give up and surrender to God. Most of our God stories come from us coming to the end of ourselves and finally giving up. Because we tried it our own way and experienced too much pain. It was pain that broke the pride off of our life. That we just realized, I'm not my own God and I'm not my own Savior. It can only be Him. And it's through this process that we... We receive something called maturity. Think, think about, I think about my life and I think about the, the, especially the younger that I was, the more likely I was to do this. It was easy for me to look at other people and to make judgments about them and their life and their decision making because I had no experience of my own. I had no failures of my own, right? So it was easy to look at other people and judge. And then it was only after I'd experienced some of my own failures and my own shortcomings that I realized, wow, it is through that experience that humility comes in. And now I'm not quick to judge other people. Why? Because I don't know. I've never walked a day in their shoes. I don't know what it's like to be them. I don't know how they were raised or where they're from or what difficulties they've had. And so it's just not my place to judge. But I didn't learn that in a book. I learned that by making judgments and then falling on my own face and then realizing, wow, Todd, that was really arrogant of you to think like that and to see another. But but I didn't learn that in a book. Think about the other things. It, it, It was only through painful trials for me that gave me high levels of compassion for other people when they experienced painful trials. And there's something about you. You just you can't quite empathize with other people when you don't have at least some type of painful experience to relate it to. So how is it that some of you became so merciful and so compassionate? It's because you went through a trial and, and you let that process take place and you let God teach you and show you and mold you and make you. And then all of a sudden you come out on the other end and now you're slow to judge. You're incredibly compassionate. You, you've got things in you that you didn't have before. Where did that all come from? Maturity is this if you're taking notes. Maturity is my ability to respond as God would have me respond regardless of the circumstances. 
Now think about that. You can chew on that one for a moment. So what is maturity? I'll I'll tell you what it really is. It's, It's this journey. It's this process that you get in through life as you invite God into your life and God takes you on this journey and this process because you have to ask yourself what is God's real purpose in your life like beyond the the details and I want you to go here and do these things what's the big picture it's this is that God's number one goal for us is to become like Jesus which is the picture of maturity how are you going to get as a matter of fact Think about all that Jesus experienced and all that he suffered and all the pain and all the trial that he experienced. Do you think you can somehow become like Jesus and completely remove yourself from the same type of pain that he experienced? It's impossible. So like pain is inevitable. Pain is is unpredictable. Pain is is varied. That definitely is. All these trials are, are different, but it is through them that we invite God into the process that not only does he make us stronger, more persevering. But he also somehow does something else in us. He makes us more mature so that we might become like Jesus. So here's what I want you to do. Because some of you are in a trial right now. I want you to begin, for those of you who are not in a trial right now, you need to prepare your mind. You need to read this scripture. You need to renew your mind with it. You need to prepare yourself. Because when that trial comes, I don't want you to roll over and die. I want you to stand up and fight. The way James would have you stand up and fight. I want you to persevere. I want you to allow God to take that process in you, to mold you and make you just like Jesus. But for those of you who are in the midst of a trial right now, there's a few things that James goes on to kind of prescribe and push you towards. Are you ready? The first one is this. Is number one, I want you to rejoice. If you're in a trial right now, I want you to be thankful. Now, he, now here's the deal. We need to be careful. Because there's some ways that you could misinterpret what James is saying. What James is saying is not when you go through pain, heartache, obstacle, or trial to start celebrating and faking it. Okay? That's not what he's saying. He's not saying fake it till you make it. You know what I mean? That's... You ever felt like that before? I'm just going to act like it. I'll act my way into it. James is not saying fake it till you make it. That's not what he's saying. Let me tell you the other thing he's not saying. James is not a masochist where he's like, I love pain and pain is good. And you should just celebrate. He's not weird. Uh, He doesn't need to be put in a straight jacket and padded walls. He's not that guy. Um, He's not a masochist meaning like I like pain. He's not saying enjoy pain. You've got to. This is what he's saying. He's saying because. Let's look at it in more detail. He's saying we don't rejoice for the trial. We just rejoice in the trial. Do you see the difference? Okay, everybody do that. Everybody say for. Everybody say in. The two different things. Very, very different. He's not saying, hey, you got a trial. Let's get excited. No, no, no. He's saying your trial is going to be painful. But if in the midst of it, you can still put your attention and focus on God and thank God. Let me, let me put, this is what the Apostle Paul said. The Apostle Paul says in First uh, Thess 5.18, he says, in everything, give thanks. Everything? E- everything. Good things? Yeah. Bad things? Yeah. In everything. Because what happens is this, is that being thankful or rejoicing in your trial gives you a different perspective. Because think about this. When we are... Okay, wives, look at me real quick here. Have you ever noticed how your husband, when he is sick... He's like a little child again, isn't he? I only know this because this is what I'm like. I'm like, baby, can you go make me some cocoa? Baby, can you get me the blanket? I don't want to get up. I become like a little child again. When we're, when we're hurting, we are very 
focused on self, don't we? We only think of what we're experiencing. We only think of what we're feeling. And we just want somebody to make us feel better. That, that's, and so what James is saying is he's challenging the notion of, Mommy, will you give me some cocoa? He's challenging that. He's saying, no, 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 no. What I want you to do is I want you to realize that you're going through a painful experience. But I want you to still put your attention and your focus and your thoughts on God. Because if you don't do that, you're never going to fully let God walk you through that experience. Teach you things. Mold you make you refine you change you overhaul you why because you'll be so focused on self and we get focused on self we throw a pity party we invite people but nobody comes and we just get sad and mopey and then what we do is that's how we short circuit the process that's how we quit on the process so we get so centered on ourselves and so james is saying the best way to get out of that is to put your attention on god to rejoice god i thank you that no matter what i'm going through that you're with me god i thank you and you just you just start why? Now all of a sudden it's not about you needing a banky. It's, it's you connecting with your heavenly father because he's going to make you stronger. He's going to make you more mature. You're coming through this thing different. Number two is this. Not only do I want you to rejoice, I want you to ask. This is what James says in verse number five. As a matter of fact, if you'll throw up verse five for me, he says this. He says, if any of you lack wisdom, you should what? You should just ask. Now, when you're going through a trial, and if you're in a trial right now, and if you're not, take detailed notes, you'll need this in six months. If you're in a trial right now, the first thing I want you to do is rejoice. But the second thing I want you to do is ask. Again, notice that it's all of a sudden your attention is moving from you and it's moving to God and what you need from him and what he's going to be doing in you. Have you ever noticed that in the midst of a trial, the thing you need the most is what? Wisdom. Think about your trials. Again, financial trials, work trials, family trials, health trials, all the things that surround car trials. No, I'm just kidding. That's not. Okay, kind of. It's kind of. I hate car problems. My, my point is, is that whenever you're in the midst of your mess, what you need above all is guidance. You need wisdom. You need insight. You need knowledge and understanding. I kind of, you know, threw this down. It's just a quick definition of wisdom. And it's this is that wisdom is applying the right knowledge to the right circumstances. So let's say it's all breaking loose. It's all hit the fan. Everything is bad. Everything is awful. It's like the opposite of that Lego song. Everything is awful. (laughs) Everything is bad. Anyway, when everything is bad and everything is awful, that's when you need to know, God, what do I? Because it's like navigating through rocky waters. Okay, so so all of a sudden work, work issues come up. Okay, do I do this or do I do this? Do I, how do I handle that? Should I go here or go there? Go this, go this. Should I have this conversation, have this meeting, have this? What, what do I do? And sometimes how you navigate those rocky waters is, is, is greatly going to affect what the outcome is. How does that work issue resolve itself? And I'm telling you, having wisdom in the midst of your pain is incredibly important. Let's keep going. Not only do I want you to rejoice, I want you to ask. And then lastly, I want you to trust. Sometimes this is the hardest one of all. But as you grow closer to God, as you grow in your relationship and your connection to God, this gets easier and easier. Because when you know God and you know his nature and you know his character, you know what you realize? He's trustworthy. He's trustworthy. I know that no matter what I'm going through, God is in control. 
I know I'm out of control. God is in control. I know that this trial is temporary. I know that I'm going to overcome because the overcomer lives inside of me. I know that the, the, the Bible says that nothing can separate me from the love of God, not height nor depth, heaven nor hell, creatures here, that nothing can separate me from the love of God. Even death, listen, even, even if the trial turns out in the worst scenario, death even doesn't get the final say. What an awesome reality that no matter what I go through, that God is with me, that I'm coming through, that I'm an overcomer because he is within me, that even in death, he gets victory, swallows it up. I can't lose. There's no way, as long as I'm with God, as long as Jesus is with me, I I can't lose. I'll, I'll wrap it up with this. There's one book of the Bible that kind of paints the ultimate picture of pain and suffering. It's the book of Job. If you don't know the story of Job, it's, it's very simple. The first part of it tells you really what goes on. And there's this huge dialogue between a few guys. But the way the story begins is there's a guy named Job who loves God and lives righteously. For a number of different reasons, literally everything bad that could happen, happens. Everything awful that could, you could possibly think of. I mean... The, the, the funny thing is, is that he loves his children and all of his children are murdered or killed in major accidents or whatever. And all he has left is a nagging, mean wife. It's like, God, if you could have taken anybody, why didn't you take her? God left. Her, and I'm just, I love my kids. You, and you left me with her. Nothing but pain, nothing but heartache, nothing but sorrow. And you know, what the, you know what the end result of the book of Job is? Because one of the greatest struggles that we all have is this. Why, does, why is it that bad things happen to good people? God, why don't you just rescue me out of every pit and snare and trap? Why, why, why don't you just always save me and always rescue me and always save the day and always pull me out of the fire? Why doesn't everything just always seem to work out? Isn't that the way that it ought to be? And you know what the conclusion of the book of Job is? There's no real answer. There's certain things in life we're not going to know here on this side of eternity. Maybe God lets us in on that on the other side of eternity. I don't know. But the end result of the book of Job is you don't get to know why pain and suffering exist. They just do. But this is what Job says. His wife actually tries to get him to curse God and die. That's her third thing. She's like, you know what? Everything's bad. Job, I don't know why you keep living for God. You should just curse God and die. She's crazy. So I wasn't making that up. I wasn't being mean. But listen to what Job says, Job chapter 19, verse 25, closing scripture of the day. The Bible says this, that Job, after getting sickness and illness himself, after having all of his children die, he goes out and he prays and he goes, for I know. Isn't that what James said? I want you to consider it all joy because you know. There is something inside of you that lets you know, that reassures you, that reaffirms you. All those things that we talked about. That God, we're going to talk about that in the small group series, by the way. What is it that a mature believer really knows that helps them kind of weigh through all this stuff? Really, really good. But he goes, for I know that my Redeemer lives. And at the last, he will stand upon the earth. For I know. It's all bad. Everything here is falling apart. It, it, it's the worst case scenario. that you, This always happens to me. Everything bad that you could think of happened to Joe. But what he knew was this, my Redeemer lives. And one day, he wins. And therefore, when I'm with him, I win. It is the thing that James 
as the coach is pushing you and prodding you and almost getting in your face and challenging you. When you experience trials, I want you to fight back. I want you to hang in there and be tough. I want you to allow God to have that ultimate process in you because God's going to do something great in you. God's going to be with you. I promise you will come through this stronger and more mature if you don't short circuit the process. Let's pray this morning. Father, we thank you so much, God, for your wisdom. James uh, is the coach that's challenging and prodding us. So, God, we pray that we'd step up for the challenge, that we'd receive the coaching, that we'd receive that pushing and prodding, God. Help us, God, to rise to the occasion. Some of us are going through incredibly difficult things. And right now, God, I pray that you would give them help, that you would be their peace and you would be their comfort, that you would be, God, a presence in their life that they know they can completely lean on and rest upon. God, for those of us who know of friends and family, God, I pray that we would be a voice of compassion and love and grace. But today, I pray that you prepare us, God. You prepare us that trials are inevitable. They, it's not if they come, it's just when they come. And that God, when they come, we'll be ready. When they come, we won't be completely thrown off guard because God, we know. That you're at work in us. We know that there's a purpose. We may not be able to see it. We will never understand it in this life. But we know there's a purpose. And your ultimate purpose is God. You are drawing us closer to you. You are doing a work in us God. We invite that process God. Change us. Mold us. Make us. Help us to become more like you. God that is our prayer today. In Jesus name. And we all said. Amen. Amen. Can you give a little big hand clap this morning? Everybody say this with me. Everybody say, consider. Consider it joy. Oh, you can say that part too. Consider it joy. Consider it joy. Whenever you face trials of many kinds, knowing that the testing of your faith produces perseverance. But let perseverance have its, have its say, have its finished work in you so that you may be mature and complete, lacking nothing. God will bring you through. Amen. Do me a favor and stand up on your feet with me today.